1: Lee Cantor here, another episode of Coach to Coach Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. Today on the show, we have Scott Anderson, and he is with Double Dare Executive Coaching and Consulting. Welcome, Scott.
0: Lee, thank you. Great to be here.
1: Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about Double Dare. How are you serving folks?
0: Well, I coach mainly entrepreneurs. I'm a serial entrepreneur myself. I've started and sold, uh, well, I've started nine businesses and sold eight businesses. And, uh, So I'm, uh, let's see, I think that's right. And uh, so I coach mainly entrepreneurs, people who are growing businesses, and um, especially people who have grown businesses to a point where they want, they've reached sort of a plateau and they really need to take it to the next level.
1: Now, what, um, can you explain a little bit about the journey? I've talked to quite a few serial entrepreneurs, but I never really dug into what is it about starting and selling businesses that is so attractive to you for to have done it so many times?
0: You know, that's a really good question. I really think it's in the genes uh, going back for generations. Um, I just come from a long line of risk takers and, um, you know, people who have uh, started, uh, you know, starting with folks who immigrated to the United States uh, taking risks in farming and ranching and starting various different businesses, getting involved in politics, um, but, but just generally folks who felt, felt like it was less risky to run your own thing than it was to depend on somebody else to run uh, their business that you're an employee of.
1: But how do you know when it's time? Like, are you, are you starting these businesses to say, okay, in three years, I'm selling this, are you starting it? And then you get kind of bored or burnt out with it. And then you say, okay, let me sell it and do something else. Or I have this other opportunity. Let me exit from this one. Like, what does that look like?
0: You know, I think you've covered it all really well. Uh, you know, I wish I could say that, uh, that I've always been opportunistic. That is growing a business to a certain size with a certain, um, liquidity number in mind, uh, but in my case, and in the case of a lot of entrepreneurs, boredom is a big part of it. And um, a lot of the thrill is in the ideation and in the launching and in the growing. And uh, unfortunately, entrepreneurs tend to have very short attention spans, I do anyway, and, uh, and, and very little patience. And so, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not comparing myself at all to Elon Musk, but I totally understand wanting to get into a space program or get into a generator program or a solar panel program, um, just because of, of boredom and and having really diverse interests.
1: Now, um, how can you counsel an entrepreneur who is maybe getting bored, or you know, has that shiny object syndrome, where that other thing yeah. looks really attractive right now, and in and, and instead, kind of reevaluate. Maybe I should, you know, focus on on my business a little bit and kind of see where this is going to play out rather than kind of be a little ADD about what the next
0: move is. Boy, that's exactly right. And I spend a lot of time with my clients doing that. A lot of times uh, clients will, um, you know, express frustration or burnout or boredom, pure boredom um, when they first talk to me. And just as a business is beginning to really bear fruit, uh, I know I've been guilty of this Sometimes, and you're right. It is the shiny object syndrome for sure, and there is an addictive quality to this. There's no question about that. Um, that that there is a there's a kind of a predictable cycle of obsession, and then the obsession cools off, and the entrepreneur loses loses interest. Um, you know what I found personally is that it's been really important to try to break that that sort of obsessive cycle. And, um, and see things through to completion. The key almost always, however, is in um, trying to recruit great people who are better at sustaining businesses and um, taking businesses to the next level. Surrounding yourself with those kinds of people. I've been in- incredibly fortunate um, over time to attract um, or recruit people that were um, just way better business people um, for that stage of growth than I was um, who had the patience and in a lot of ways, the maturity, um, to see things through to completion in a way that I didn't have. But there's also sort of this, um, I'd call it almost a spiritual journey for entrepreneurs to, uh, hopefully over time, uh, begin to channel that impatience and that, um, passion really in a more positive direction. And, uh, I found that over time, and I think age has something to do with it, but I become a lot more patient and um, uh, uh, less obsessive, let's say. But yeah, it's it's the constant battle of the entrepreneur against that kind of a, a almost addictive cycle.
1: Now, isn't part of the challenge um, in in that it takes different types of skills to create something from nothing than it does to manage something that's something?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, you know, they're, they're uh, I mean, if the genes I'm grateful for having inherited from my uh, my father, my grandfathers, et cetera, et cetera, um, is, is that ability to see um, something and nothing and to be really intrigued to the point of wanting to get it started. And that, I think, is sort of by definition, the entrepreneurial um either gift or, or a curse, I'm not sure. But you're exactly right. It's a very rare um, person that has both that entrepreneurial vision and also the ability to scale businesses beyond that plateau I described earlier. Um, it's at that plateau when growth may slow down, where the nuance of what you're doing may dissipate, um, where entrepreneurs tend to lose interest and also tend to leave a lot of money on the table and a lot of value on the table by um, losing interest, by um, uh, maybe micromanaging uh, at that point and not seeing what you just said, the, the, the need to bring in both the systems and the people that can take you to the next level.
1: So how do you counsel your clients to do that? How do you identify who is the right person to take this baby of yours into adulthood um, and to, you know, exit in a way that you're fairly compensated for the risk you took.
0: Exactly. You know, the, the main thing is, um, and, and this is where I spend 90% of my time is to try to get into the hearts and the minds of my entrepreneur clients to understand what they really, really want. And again, sometimes this almost obsessive hunger for, um, new challenge and new adventure is, um, is again, a blessing and a curse. And, um, something that in, in your younger days can be a tremendous competitive advantage can turn out to be a competitive threat going forward. So a lot of what we talk about is uh, what I try to get my clients to focus on is what their values are um, beyond uh, today and tomorrow, but, but really what they want their legacy to be and, and how they uh, the commitment they want to make in terms of how they show up and live every day. Um, which helps to transcend the the siren song sometimes of um, you know I've got to have something new every day anyway, so that's how I work with my entrepreneur um, clients, and you know the it's absolutely true that there is a different personality set and a different skill set of people that that take uh, entrepreneurial companies and grow them into and scale them into. Bonafide businesses that transcend the personality and the whims and even the potential genius of the entrepreneur and turn them into a business that's that's bigger than any one personality or any one individual. And it's a different skill set, but it's also a different personality type. Um, And we use a lot of assessments, in fact, to try to determine whether or not the um, the next generation of leadership that I typically help my clients recruit is in fact that kind of individual. But typically they are more patient um, than the entrepreneur. Um, they can see through uh, the end of, of long-term processes with um, more vigilance and patience and, and with maintained interest. Um, yeah, it's a very different profile than the entrepreneurial profile.
1: And I would think that because of that, it's difficult without help like your firm for an individual to find the right fit, because they might have this inherent bias that they're looking for someone like them. And that's probably the exactly. last person they want is someone like that. Exactly. They need the opposite right. of them.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean that, uh, to the extent that I've been um, lucky and I really have been blessed to work with partners that are just so much better at, than I am at almost everything. Um, that's really true. I mean, you want people that are very different than you are as an entrepreneur, um, because the again that that entrepreneurial uh, that the the shiny object syndrome can really torpedo really solid healthy businesses left to its own devices. And you almost have to, as the entrepreneur, with without a coach or a mentor, a guide of some kind. Uh, unfortunately, your gifts can really be t- can turn to uh, a destruction. Um, you know, without that kind of, without the perspective, it's really hard to see that. Um, So that's, yeah, that's a very good point.
1: Now, uh, when you're working with your clients, what is typically the pain that they're having where they're like, Hey, I got to call uh, Scott and his team. Uh,
0: Well, you know, typically, as I said, it's, it's that the, um, the, the growth ambition well, it's a couple of things, but the growth ambition of the founder is being frustrated. So they reach a point where they re- they have plateaued in some way or another. And um, often it's sales growth or profit growth or market share growth has plateaued. Those are the most obvious signs. And those are, to an entrepreneur, deeply frustrating because growth and expansion and nuance are the lifeblood. Um, another thing, though, that happens a lot is that the... Um, at least a a somewhat enlightened entrepreneur will begin to see that they are the problem. Or in other words, um, that, that their entrepreneurial zeal is in fact driving people away, um, who they really, really need people who can see things through to a longer horizon. Um, people who have, who can sort of see the forest for the trees more clearly and, um, and so what often happens, one of the symptoms is that there is a retention problem. Um, This is, we noticed this, especially in the first quarter of this year, what's been called the great resignation um, of, of people leaving in droves. And the problem sometimes for the entrepreneur is that they tend to be um, somewhat egocentric, sometimes really egocentric. I know I've had that problem. And, um, and are not as conscious um, as they should be in terms of the, the fulfillment of the rest of their team. In any case, for whatever reason, um, one of the symptoms that a lot of people come to me with is that they're not able to retain the people that they know they secretly need, um, uh, the, the people that can scale the business and, and take it beyond the plateau,
1: now, when they get to this level of frustration, is it something that they're contemplating, hey, this is the end, I'm, I'm over this, this is not working for me, I got to pull the ripcord, um, how do I exit? Um, or is it something where they're just like, I just this is my life, I'm just going to power through to the best of my ability and see where it goes?
0: Well, I, uh, you know, I certainly want to talk to people before the, the first statement that you made, before people reach the end of their rope. Um, sometimes they feel that way, though that they're that they're really frustrated. That what them what got them uh, past the back of a napkin idea for a business to a successful business that's now plateaued, um, all of that energy is is now working against them. What got them to that point, they they kind of know intuitively won't get them past this plateau. Um, you know, I and I sometimes do talk to people that are really pretty desperate or exhausted, or particularly today, burned out. And um, so that sometimes happens. Um, other times there are, you know, there, and obviously there's a continuum of entrepreneurship. Uh, some people aren't as extreme as others and can kind of see that, um, that they've either taken the company as far as they can um, in, in, in one of two ways, either the, the growth has uh, plateaued or that they, they sort of realize that their skill set is tapped out, that the entrepreneurial zeal uh, can only take them as far as they are. Um, and that would be a bit more conservative entrepreneur who realizes that if there is such a thing as a conservative entrepreneur. Um, but yeah, somewhere in that continuum, I, I certainly want to talk to people before they reach the point of, of you know, wanting to shut it down but sometimes that happens. Um, and, and particularly t- today with burnout.
1: Now, is there anything you can share with our listeners, uh, any tips or maybe low hanging fruit that an entrepreneur can be doing actively, uh, to prevent or even recover from burnout?
0: Yeah. You know, we've spent, because this is so common today in all kinds of companies and, and in, well, f- over 50% of employees uh, nationwide, according to Gallup, report that they feel burned out most of the time. So it's really reached an epidemic point. And the great resignation that so many employers saw this spring, uh, this past spring of 21, um, is a reflection of that. So as a result, we've created a specific um, program, a process uh, to both Prevent and help people recover from burnout because it is such a, unfortunately, such a common phenomenon. Um, and particularly in companies that are growing fast and um, that are run by entrepreneurs that insist on fast growth. So, what, we've discovered a couple of things. Um, I should probably mention that in addition to being an entrepreneur and a coach, I'm also a licensed therapist. And over the last, we started about four years ago, actually pre COVID to identify best practices that have clinical proof of uh, counteracting or reversing burnout. And fortunately there are a lot of steps that people can take. And, um, and we've kind of codified this, these steps into a, a program, a system that we make available to our clients. Um, and you know, basically what, what we've discovered is that, and, and actually the World Health Organization in naming burnout a bona fide illness, has listed three primary symptoms um, of burnout. The first is exhaustion, um, not just physical exhaustion, but psychological exhaustion. And it's the kind of thing where our clients will report that even if they do get a good night's sleep, which is usually not often, um, they wake up in the morning still feeling tired. And if not physically tired, emotionally tired, um, exhausted, depleted, or done, sometimes they, they say. And um, obviously, it's very, very difficult to, um, to conquer the world if you're feeling done, if you're feeling burned out or tapped out. And there are some specific techniques that we've developed that can really, really help with that exhaustion. Um, and very simple, very practical techniques that, that really, really help. There are a couple of, specifically, there are some mindfulness techniques that are um, simple and easy, even for people who hate meditation or think they can't meditate, uh, that only take five or 10 seconds to use, um, that if used frequently can really, really help not only, um, help people recover from, from burnout, but also help them prevent it from happening in the first place. One of the things we're discovering is that burnout really is preventable. And, um, we're, our contention is that, um, that companies in the same way that they bring flu shots uh, into the office every fall, that the prudent uh, employer should also be bringing in burnout prevention um, skills into the company. Um, Obviously, you know, burnout has a lot to do with company culture. So employers have to really look themselves in the eyes and ask themselves, how are we contributing to burnout? You know, are we unreasonable or unrealistic? Do we have a culture that promotes fear for example, which is, which is one of the, and, and stress, Um, you know, if we do, we're going to have burnout. So the employer has to look themselves in the eye first and foremost, because there is definitely a lot of burnout that comes as a result of company culture. But having said that, the, um, uh, there are a number of steps that individuals can take to prevent it because it's, Burnout is really in the air. In that sense, it's akin to COVID. Um, It's the the social media that we read, the news that we see. It's in the conversations that we have. Um, And actually, in our experience, it predates COVID. It may go all the way back to the 2008 Great Recession, um, and maybe even before that, maybe back to the 1998 tech bubble bursting. Um, But COVID has really been the sort of the straw that, that crushed the camel's back. But what we have found is that there are a number of skills that people can use to not only recover from burnout but prevent it. And so, what we're preaching to our to our clients is there are some simple programs that that we've developed that have empirical data of success um, that you can bring into your companies, much like a flu shot. And if you can get your folks to practice even some of these techniques, they will um, their chances of of preventing burnout are actually quite good. Now, this is, again, not to say that employers can shirk responsibility. If they have a culture of micromanagement, of fear, of unrealistic un, uh, expectations, et cetera, you know, they have to look themselves in the mirror and kind of go through a checklist we provide um, to ensure that their, their culture isn't itself causing the burnout. But we have found that burnout is more of a cultural epidemic than it is, um, a individual business problem. And there are some specific steps that you can, that you can take. In fact, if anybody would like to email me afterwards, um, you know, or, re- uh, reach out to my website, I'd be happy to share. Um, we have a, um, a burnout health checklist that I'd be happy to send them a PDF,
1: all right, well, what's the website in case somebody wants to have a uh, you know, contact you and have a more substantive conversation about your practice and get a hold of these great resources?
0: Sure. Um one thing they can do is just to get a to watch a um a masterclass on burnout prevention. They can go to burnoutbreakthrough.com. Uh com has a um a short webinar that explains um the the issues involved with burnout and the, um, steps that you can take to prevent it. And there are, there are five shifts that, that we've discovered that really, um, uh, will turn burnout around. Um, we've proven this in hundreds and hundreds of cases. Uh, the other thing they can do is to reach me at my coaching website, which is double dare you, uh, dot us double dare Y O U dot us. And there's a link there. Um, to, uh, a program called extinguishing burnout. And there's lots of information there about the process that we use, the science behind it and, and, uh, concrete steps that people can take right now.
1: Good stuff. Well, Scott, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you.
0: My pleasure, Lee. Thanks so much for having me on the show.
1: All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on coach the coach
0: radio.